Kings chapter 18, and uh, good to have Bobby and Stacy Foster here with us today, and uh, I thought I saw Brother, yes, uh, Brother and Sister Owasso's son here with us this morning, good to have him, and uh, I'm, <clears throat> we're right in the middle of the wide open holiday season, and uh, if you don't believe that, go to one of our local retail stores and you'll start realizing real fast that we're in the middle of a wild holiday season and uh, <clears throat> like to uh, read <clears throat> to you starting in verse 21 and um, actually scripture setting goes probably through verse 40 but I will not read that entire uh, section. I will start <clears throat> with verse 21. The Bible says there, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. And then I want you to um, look at verse 38. Uh, the Bible says there, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and licked up the trench that or licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, "The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God." And Elijah said unto them, "Take the prophets of Baal, and let not one of them escape." And they took them. Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. And uh, that's the prophetic in action. And there's a lot of talk these days about wanting a five-fold ministry and wanting apostles and prophets. And I don't know that, um, I think that may be just lip service because as the Lord starts turning loose prophets in the church, there's a lot of things that would take place that may not be as appeasing to us as what we would like for it to be. Um, and yet God does have a purpose and plan. And so I want to preach to you here this morning on the keys to revival. Let's ask the Lord to touch our hearts. Lord, your presence, Jesus, is here. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful, Lord, for the spiritual atmosphere, God, that is in, Lord, this house. It's been ushered in, God, by the teaching of your word. It's been ushered in, God, by the worship, Lord, that we have, God, poured not just out of our mouths, but out of our hearts. And there is a, a spirit, God, that's here. And I pray, Lord, that now that you would take, God, that spirit. And that, Lord, that you would 
Help it, God, to work in tandem. That you would cause us, God, to think, to ask ourselves questions. To help us, Lord, to be fruitful. Lord, servants of yours. I pray, Lord, that on this congregation this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. And uh, <clears throat> I guess they were concerned. Somebody brought my phone, so I think they, maybe an angel brought it. Um, I'm guessing they want me to uh, <clears throat> pay attention to the time. So why don't, I, why don't I just start it for, say, 50 minutes? Brother Patterson stimulated my heart and mind this past Wednesday night with his Bible study. And um, so because of that, I maybe have I've been preaching through Psalm 119, but uh, some of the things that he said not only caused me to think, but I will say it caused me not to sleep. I don't know if I was the only one, but... I hope that some of the things that he said prompted you to really give some thought about the direction, not only of this church, but of Christianity at large here in America. When the old preacher said it like this, he said, they tell me a revival is temporary, so is a bath, but it does you good. There's another preacher that said it like this. He said, when I was a boy, preachers used to talk about holding a revival. And what we really need is somebody that will turn a revival loose. I agree with that. And this story that I have read to you, just a very uh, brief moment. Uh, if I was to read all of it again, would start in verse 21 and would go through uh, verse 40. But the story here is it's a Sunday school story that I'm certain that whenever I heard it told, whenever I was a kid, that certainly it had been sanitized. And uh, some of the, especially the ending event where that Elijah went out and he basically slew those prophets of Baal, I'm sure that that probably was not told, uh, it was told, but it was told very uh, nicely in a way that it wouldn't uh, offend our sensibilities. And uh, we live in a day now where that we're surrounded by snowflakes who um, are easily offended, and, uh, and that hurts preaching. It really does. And yet here in 1 Kings 18, there is that part where that, that Elijah wanted to turn the nation back in the direction of God. And, and he starts it really with a question there in verse 21. How long halt ye between two opinions? How long are you going uh, to his brother Patterson preached 45 years ago when I was a kid? 
a sermon called Limping Along the Fence Row. Elijah's actions causes us to really give some thought to that matter. And again, yesterday I sat in that funeral service and uh, I am, Brother Blackman, 84 years old. I'm significantly younger than that. And, uh, and yet the fact is this, is that we're all moving in a direction and that only what we do for Christ is going to last. Revival moves us beyond a live and let live mentality. And Elijah came along and began to stir things up in that area where that he was addressing those people. Look at verse 24. The Bible says there, And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And, and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And so what you see here is Elijah coming along and, and he's confronting these false prophets that, that are there and... and uh, I, I would say here today that we find ourselves living in a world that really uh, touts and encourages tolerance. It wants us to be tolerant of every view and every idea. And uh, they exalt it in a way to say that, that we want every voice to be the same and equal until you begin to say your thoughts, and then when you call people to a very narrow gospel of being born again, suddenly you are intolerant. And so Elijah sets forth that truth there for the prophets of Baal. He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. That is where that, that I am going to spend my time. There, there's times whenever we have to examine things very carefully. And I would just say here this morning that the greatest reference point that we'll ever find is the one that is what has been established in the Word of God. It's those things that really that you can build and stand your life and a foundation on. Deception follows those that do not examine the lies of those false prophets. If you were to go back into the book of Genesis, there was so much heartache that could have been spared to Jacob. If Jacob would have taken the coat of Joseph, that colored coat that he had made, or the coat of many colors that he had had made for him, if he would have examined Joseph's coat, he would have discovered that the story that his sons were telling him was not the truth there. And, and so it is that whenever you start looking at real keys to revival, that, that one of those keys there is, is pointed out to us in verses uh, 21 through 29, and that's confrontation, and that's what Brother Patterson did for us this past Wednesday night. He confronted us. He laid some things out. He reasoned with us. He asked us some questions during that Bible study. And, and if we are to take our lives and begin to look 
and examine our lives. I want to just tell you this morning that that anything that exposes a lie will be the thing that honors God. Those things that, that causes lies and error to be exposed in our lives. We ought to thank God for the scrutiny that comes in to our lives and says, here's where you're at. Here's where you need to be. Those are positive things that we should have in our lives. Now, I'm going to try in 24 to cut out the personal references, but Brother Chad, I blame this one on you here this morning. This will be my last. I got two weeks, so again, get off the couch. Get off the couch. And I got off the couch this year. And... uh, and I rubbed it in a little bit yesterday with, with some guys on a text message because I got off of the couch. Uh, I have ran 403 miles this year, and I've ridden a bicycle 186 miles or 189 miles. I want to get over 200 miles for the year. It's over with, but 600 miles this year. Uh, and it's because I made a choice. i got to get off the couch And there are some spiritual things that I made uh, this year. And I would just tell you this, that whenever you make changes in your life, they're not just going to happen. There's got to be a goal. One of the things that helped me was an app called Strava. and, And Strava sent me notifications, get off the couch. Get away from the powdered donuts. Quit eating three pieces of chicken and cut out the gravy on the mashed potatoes. Those are things that has caused me to get into a place where I feel like that my health is probably a little bit better placed than it was even 12 or 11 months ago. And so it is that there are times where that that when Scripture comes in and, and says, okay, here's what you need to do. Those things can be positive in your life if you allow them. And so Elijah is allowed. He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you guys go first. He wasn't afraid to allow their attack on the altar because here's the thing that you have to understand that truth never needs a special privilege to prove that it is true and that it is accurate. You just just let it live long enough and people will be able to see what the truth is. And so it is that, that Elijah was very clear in his direction. In verses 23 and 25, he said, don't put any fire under the sacrifice. Because here is why that he didn't want that to happen is because in those days those false prophets would put fires up under the sacrifice and then they kind of cover it up. And then as it got going, then it would begin to grow and build up into a flame. And and, uh, those false prophets did not have a supernatural fire there. And so it was that Elijah said, I'll tell you what we're going to do here. We're going to cause it to be in such a place, in such a manner where then the God that answers with fire is the one that we are going to worship and we're going to honor. Now, now could it be that we may have said, uh, "Who?" I tell you what, the real God would would answer with rain. He he didn't do that. Uh, he got to that a little bit later on. And and I would just tell you this: that Elijah was right in his assessment because when you begin to look at what fire represents in the scriptures, it represents judgment. 
It represents a challenge. And so it was that he said, I'll tell you what you've got to understand is that judgment is always has to precede blessing. And yet in our day, they've got it so backwards. We want the blessing first, and then we want the judgment later. But I want to come into the presence of the Lord, and I want to open my heart up and say, Lord, walk through my heart and through my spirit. And, and when I said that Wednesday night, and then Brother Patterson started moving through his Bible study, the questions are there that we don't realize what happens in our lives whenever we allow things to go out. And so it was that those prophets of Baal got up and started. They cut themselves. They cried out. They did all sorts of things, and yet nothing happened. And the blindness of false religion can be seen whenever those prophets of Baal, they didn't take offense at Elijah's mockings and his offensive statements. And he said, I just made them get into it even more. Error always blinds the minds of the people and the longer you embrace it the blinder that you become don't fall into the trap to think that Christianity is just going to make me a model citizen that gets to work on time that pays their taxes and that gets good kudos from the boss at the end of the year or that you put your buggy back in the receptacle at Target or at Walmart that's the failure of the church in America to think that God is only trying to create American citizens that are good model employees. That's not it, church. What is God trying to do? He's trying to turn us into worshipers. He's trying to turn us into missionaries. He's trying to turn us into people that can have an impact on our world. And yet to grasp and understand that, we need an elder to come through on Wednesday night and prompt us with some things that are said. And so again, the revival starts with sometimes a confrontation. And yet the, you look at verse 30, here's what the Bible says. And Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. False religion and false profession. What's false profession is hypocrisy. That means that you're one thing in church and that you're something else on your job or you're something else whenever you go to school or that you're somebody else whenever you are at your home. Why, why does that happen? It's because the altars get torn down. It's because the altars are broken there. What do altars do? They promote communion with God. They promote fellowship uh, with the saints of God. They promote devotion to God. They cause us to look for the direction and the will of God. What does altars call me to do? It calls me to a place of surrender. It doesn't drive me away from God, but it drives me to the Lord. It draws me in. It says, if you'll build an altar, the Lord says, I will be at that place. The greatest question that we sometimes ought to ask ourselves here today is whether or not we have a solid altar 
of the Lord that's in our lives. Do you? Do you have an altar somewhere? Do you have, do you have a private altar? I think we probably all do decent with public altars, but are there private altars that you have there in your life? In the Old Testament, you find uh, Noah. The Bible tells us that after he came off of that ark, the Bible tells us that he built an altar. You can see it. And there in beginning in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20 and then going on through chapter 9 and verse 29, he gets down off of that ark there and the Bible tells us that he goes and he begins to build an altar, an altar there. And, and for apparently a little while, the Bible tells us that he was in attendance of that altar, but it wasn't too long after that that he strayed from that altar. What did he do? Now, we have to work. Uh, there's things that did it, and I believe it's good for us to have jobs, and yet sometimes the jobs that we find ourselves in that we're working with pagans and heathens, and, and they do make it rough on you sometimes by mocking you and mocking the way you dress and mocking your attendance to the Lord and various other things. If if you can somehow get the blinders up and forget what that they're saying and remember that the goal is not to be a good American citizen, but it is to be a saint of God. We do have to spend our lives and times at work there. But when Noah left his altar, the Bible tells us that he planted a vineyard there. And his vineyard started getting more and more of his attention than what his altar did. And the Bible tells us that he got drunk from the excess of that vineyard. I get worried, men, sometimes whenever you're taking on an extra job and uh, you're spending more overtime and doing everything you can to try to say, well, how can I make more money? And how can I get involved in this various thing? Be careful with that. Because the Bible tells us that while Noah got so caught up with his vineyard that he got drunk from the excess of it. And what that did was that moved him away from his altar. And in his drunkenness, the Bible tells us that one of the most radical mistakes in Scripture was found. And it caused a curse to be put on his son whose name was Ham. You can find that in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 20. And yesterday, whenever I looked down at, at Brother Blackman there in that, that, that casket there, there were other memories that, that came in with a rush over the years that you begin to see and you begin to think and you begin, me and listen to me, you be careful that whatever you do, that you do not make decisions that's going to end up affecting your children. You say, oh, they're too young. Trust me, you bend a tree in a certain direction and once that tree is bent in that direction whenever it gets to be older that tree cannot be turned and bent back in the other direction what we're doing right now is important altars they must have a priority there in your life and so the Bible tells us from that narrative there from that story that there is first of all confrontation and then there's repair or rebuilding of the altars. But you get down to verse 36 through 39 and here's what you see. You see a prayer that is there. Now Elijah's prayer is so much different 
from the prophets of Baal. It's, it's really a very short prayer, somewhere around, around 63 to 65 words or so. And yet, whenever he was there, he didn't need to cut himself. He didn't need to plead. He didn't need to bargain. The Bible just says that he began to pray. Hear me, church. You don't need to find yourself in a place where that you can't just drop to your knees right now and pray. Whenever you fall into the trap of living a dirty, muddled up life and you got to spend repentance first before you can pray, trust me, there's going to be emergency situations in your life where you don't have time to get it all sorted out and settled out. There's a premium on holy and clean living so that whenever you begin to kneel down and you begin to call on the name of the Lord, that the Lord can work. He didn't cut himself. He didn't plead. He didn't jump, didn't shout, didn't run. He was just a man that was willing to pray. He was a man that was willing to be able to give himself to that. Men, uh, we've got a prayer revival coming up here, and I'm going to stay on you about this in 24. I need to hear men's voices praying. We, our, our ladies, they need to keep praying. But men, there needs to be some baritone and some bass that's in our prayer meetings. Our, our elders are not the ones that need to be carrying our prayer times. And you say, well, volume's not anointing. I agree. But hear me, we need to have some men in this sanctuary that their voices call out and pray. You say, why is that? Because there are children that are here, and if they never hear men calling out on the name of the Lord they're going to make a deduction and they're going to think that prayer meeting is just for women and for girls if ever the hour was where we needed strong male leadership in a local church it's now it's now men it's, it's right now that you ought to have a relationship not only with the Lord in prayer but you ought to know your Bibles Y'all to know your Bibles, which reminds me, Ollie's, Ollie's has got a sale, and uh, they got a lot of stuff in there for sale, but I hardly ever make it past a little section in there on the right, but it's loaded right now with handy-sized Thompson chain references, full-size Thompson chain references, wide margin King James, journaling Bibles, all sorts of stuff. And I told my wife last night if I was made out of money, I'd buy everybody in this church a new Bible for 2024. But since I don't have all that amount of money, why don't when church is over, uh, why don't you just drive down to Ollie's and get you a new Thompson chain and, and say, I got to break this thing in. And uh, so Elijah's prayer had some things in it that we ought to put in. Uh, to, to our prayers. First of all is the glory of God. I see that whenever he begins to say, you're, you're the God of Israel. Now God don't need us to remind him of who he is. But I would
would just tell you this. There's times whenever you kneel down and you begin to pray, it's refreshing to begin to tell God, Lord, you're our strong tower. The righteous run into it. You're the captain of my salvation. You're the bishop of my soul. You're the shepherd. The Lord don't need me to remind him of that. But, oh, what it does is ushers worship into my heart and into my spirit. And that's exactly what Elijah done. Elijah began to call. He said, you are the God of Israel. And then the second thing that I see there is a testimony of Elijah's life. What does he say? He says, I am your servant. There are things that we can say about ourselves in this life. I'm this, I'm that, I'm supervisor, I've got this amount of education, I've got this amount of money and whatever. None of those things really matter if you can't say that you're a servant of the Lord. Oh, Jesus, help me to be able to say that. That, that whenever I get down on my knees, it's not, well, this, that, or the other, but Lord, I am a servant of the Lord. And if you really want to get technical with it, you can do it like this. You say, Lord, I'm your slave. I'm a slave of the Lord. I don't have any choices. I don't have any ideas, but I am in whatever direction you'd have me to go. And then there's something else I see here is, is obedience. He said, this, this is being done at your word. And so it is. He talks about who God is, talks about what place he's at, talks about obedience. And then he turns in and he begins to make his request. I know you're God. He's praying for revival and for fire. I know that you are God. I know that you're trying to turn Israel's heart back in your direction. Oh, how God needs to do that. Oh, how God needs to do that. How he needs to turn people and their attention back to God. I'm going to share some statistics with you. And uh, obviously these are not scientific. Uh, but here a few weeks ago I started kind of doing uh, some calls and talked to a fair amount of pastors. And so I, I know what's going on in Alabama. And uh, so I... I started calling around, and, and I called several neighboring districts, called some districts up in the north, called some districts out in the Midwest, uh, talked to some other district officials in the far western area, and here's what they told me, and this is kind of a blanket statement all across, is that since COVID, most churches, the attendance has dropped off between 20 and 30%. Now, here's what COVID did do. COVID did show who's right. It separated somewhat of the sheep from the goats. But I would just tell you this, that when you start looking at that nationwide, not just here, not just Alabama, not just in various places, but whenever you start looking around and you start saying that attendance is, is down in 20 to 30 or down by 20 to 30 percent and here's what else is happening is you've got other churches that are like vacuum cleaners and obviously you as a pastor you you can't tell people you can't come to church here but by and large a lot of our rural churches are dying out and the reason that they're dying out is because people are moving into larger churches where that they can just fly in on Sunday morning and when you got a big crowd it's easy to fly under the radar you don't have to serve 
serve. You don't have to do anything. You just come in. You just clock in. Man, the music's awesome. Man, the atmosphere is great. Man, the preaching was good. And then you walk out, and you're done. You don't have to do anything else until you come back in. Hear me, church. That is called deception. And what the enemy is doing is he's playing marbles for people's soul because if he can get them out of a church and then move them out of a place where that they're not serving and there's no real buy-in except for I give something in the offering, then what happens is it's easy just to fly under the radar. And Elijah prayed for revival. He didn't ever pray for fire. And he didn't pray for rain. And a lot of times the prayer of the church is backwards. We want rain first and then we want revival. And so, Brother Patterson, some of the things he said, Wednesday night, what to do? Well, some of what to do is what we did here this morning is walk in here and, and you start singing. And there's anointed worship. I'm going to tell you again, church, there is a priority on holiness. If there is not a commitment to holiness, then what happens is, is it falls into the lap of talent. And talented music is not anointed music. I... I, I fear talent. I fear talented preachers. I fear talented singers. I fear that. Why is that? It's because you lean on the arm of the flesh. And trust me, a church that leans on the arm of the flesh will never transform, nor will it change somebody's life. And so what happens is as you walk, in and, and there's prayer meetings and there's preachers that are telling you to read your Bible and there's preachers that's telling you it's, it matters what you say. It matters that there ought not to be any corrupt communication that proceeds out of your mouth. It matters. And you say, well, well, well I don't cuss. I, I don't use slang words. But do you gossip? Are you a tail bearer? Are, are you a backbiter? And oh, oh I'm, I'm great. But corrupt communication fits in that area. How in the world can sweet water and salty water come out of the same well. How in the world can thistles grow grapes or figs? It won't happen. And the greatest lessons that we have to learn is that this matter of holiness, it matters. Why? It's because it affects the atmosphere. That's why if there's sin in the camp, it's going to do the same thing to this church that it did to those back in Joshua chapter 7 whenever they went into that little old small city called Ai. Great victory in Jericho. And then they get into Ai and they get their head handed to them. Why was that? It was because whenever they were there in Jericho, Achan's wandering eyes and wandering desires grabbed something in secrecy. And whenever he did that because of the sin that was in the camp there, it ended up 
forfeiting the blessings of God there in that life. And trust me, church, I realize it. It is in your face right now, especially if you're on social media. It's like it's everywhere that you're at. And some of the events this week that took place even in our Nationals capital, I sat in my car in one of our our parking lots of a, of a retail store and and all just God please if this thing is going on in the open what in the world's going on in the darkness and it's almost like there's a pit of snakes that that are our political leaders and yet understand this Paul and all the apostles, they still established churches under the reign of, of all of Nero and Domitian and, and various others of those people that were there. Jesus Christ set up his kingdom right there in the footsteps of the courthouse of Pilate and what Herod was. And so that tells me one thing. Then there's times where you got to get your blinders up and trust me, don't fall in to the category and trap of thinking, well, if we get this guy in the White House or if we get this guy in the State House or if we get this guy in the place of being a mayor, that doesn't matter because nowhere in Scripture do I see that early church. What did they do? They continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayer. That's how that you're going to build a church. That's how that whenever we walk in here on a Sunday morning, there ought to be exuberant and powerful worship. But listen, it's not just exuberant and powerful worship, but it is authoritative worship. It's prayers that matter. I'm pleading with you, church, Dothan, Alabama, needs a revival church at 1745 Coderi Road. There are people that drive by this place. There's backsliders that they drive by this church and they see the parking lot full and secretly in their heart, they're like, thank God they're still in there, still going at it because they're entertaining the thought that if I ever get in trouble, I'll still be able to get into a church that's still doing what it needs to do. And then the last part, uh, verse 39 and verse 40. So again, confrontation, repairing the altars, prayer. And now here's what takes place, exaltation. The Bible says that when the fire fell from heaven, the people fell on their faces. You ever been there? You, have you have you been? I mean, probably in a place. It's probably more a place of private prayer. That the power of God it dropped into that wherever you were at and wherever you were praying. That all of a sudden you had to you had to get down if you were on your knees, then you had to get your forehead down on the floor. You're like Lord. I exalt you. I worship you. I don't deserve your presence dropping in to this sanctuary when I'm in here by myself. 
I don't deserve your presence when you drop in at times in a private study. I don't deserve your presence filling up my car. And it's the power of God that you begin to sense. Oh, church, I want to tell you that whenever you get in to a place where the blessings of God has been established in your life, I'm going to tell you, you cannot help but to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that moment of victory, here's what else took place. Not only was there exaltation, but that old prophet, he said, you got to destroy some things. You got to wipe these things out. You got to kill them. And I dare say that those prophets of Baal that were responsible for Israel's backsliding, for the famine in the land, for thousands that died during that famine. I'm going to tell you what, it would have been a crime for them to not deal urgently and violently with those. And you say, oh my Lord, you're advocating. No, I'm just advocating there's things that sometimes God exposes to you in your life. You say, i got to cut that out. i got to quit that. I've got to stop. And yet the challenge for the Pentecostal church in our day is, oh, if I can get a prophet to give me a word, I wish the prophets would stop their prophet lying because I'm going to tell you this, okay? is you don't need the word of a prophet sometimes as much as you need to just say, God, I'm fixing to cut, I'm fixing to mortify my flesh. I'm fixing to cut this stuff out of my life. I'm fixing to stop it. I'm fixing to take the sword and the spirit, and I'm fixing to cut these things out of my life. I want us to stand. And uh, Brother Patterson, I appreciate that Bible study you did Wednesday night. It was, it's good, it's good for preachers and pastors and bishops to ask us questions. It's good. Because somewhere there's going to be a crisis. Somewhere there's going to be a challenge. And what really needs to take place is there needs to be some depth and experience in our lives. So that we're able to say, what do I need to confront? What do I need to be rebuild? What do I need to pray about? And Lord, what do I need to do in moments of exaltation and worship? And that God, you can do things in my heart and in my spirit. I want to pray, Lord. I'm thankful, God, for your spirit. I'm thankful, Lord, that you bring us in. Jesus to places. I know God the pressure and the stress God that we deal with but I also am aware of this that Lord that the greatest anointing of the Holy Ghost God is better than any fleshly menial 
somehow God even humanistic cure is that Lord that if we can just turn ourselves God to you there's ways God that you can help us to fulfill your work your purpose and to do your will oh I pray God that in the coming year Lord please God help us to get off the couch I know that may seem so trite but Lord help us to be drawn into places God of spiritual growth there's potential there's places God that you have in mind that you want us to go help us God not to fail in our responsibility Lord God I would say to this city Lord what would have been the value of a little old Sunday school Lord that ran eight people in Sodom and Gomorrah it would have saved that city I ask you Lord today that you would help us God to reach into Dothan, Alabama and to help God people see the way that their lives God will be completely transformed by a new birth experience I pray, Lord, that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'd like for you to come this morning. Here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to kneel. I want you just to walk into this this altar area. I want you to lift your hands. I want you just to begin to worship the Lord here this morning. We'll We'll see what the Lord wants to do. But just lift your hands to the Lord. And I want you just to thank Him. Your hand.